Hello and welcome to our podcast, Secret Skill, Hidden Career, The Truth About Sales, hosted by me, Paul Owen. This podcast is based on my best-selling book, Secret Skill, Hidden Career, and it has three aims. First, we want to challenge the belief in the UK that sales is a dirty word. We don't learn it because we see it as a bad thing. Yet done properly, sales is the essence of business as well as a key life skill. Secondly, we want to introduce everyone to the skill of sales. It helps you in almost every job. It helps you get a job in the first place. And it helps you communicate better in your personal life too. Thirdly, we want to throw a light on sales as a potential career. I came to sales at the age of 32 and it changed my life. It could well change yours too. With chapters read from my book and interviews with business leaders, sales newcomers and all points in between, the content will be insightful and fun with plenty of tips to help anyone improve their communication skills. How you choose to use those new skills, that's up to you. Today's podcast focuses on chapter eight of my book. The title is The Provocation of Truth. It focuses on a simple way to structure your questions in a sales conversation. Questioning and, of course, listening to the answers is the most important skill in sales, and we hope we can help you to do it better. In a few minutes' time, you're going to hear a summary of the chapter being read, and after that, I'm hosting a Q&A session here in the studio with our two guests. Before we go to the reading, I should introduce our guests. So welcome, Tim Chapman and Julian Mile. Thank you. Hello. Um, I thought about introducing you, though perhaps you could do a better job of introducing yourself rather than just listen to me talk all the time. So perhaps if I come to you first, Julian, and we could have maybe where you started in sales and, and where you are now. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so my first job, actually, I sort of fell into a media sales job uh, 25-odd years ago, which um, I had no idea really what I wanted to do with my life, and um, I knew I wanted to live in London, and there was a... Yeah, uh, effectively a, a job that came up as a, a telesales executive for a, for a, an old-fashioned magazine company that then led into the uh, eventuality of the internet and the, the digital media uh, eventually set up a company up until three years ago which we ran for 15 years uh, sold that and then uh, currently uh, working within a couple of businesses in, and helping yeah, appropriately enough in, in the driving their sales um, yeah, uh, yeah, still very much connected to the sales and, and digital media world. Good stuff. And now a podcast guest. Absolutely, yeah, first, first one. Good stuff. Welcome, Julian. Over to you, Tim. Yeah, so uh, I was handed a briefcase full of perfume um, in Unilever. That was my kind of entrance to selling. And they gave me what they said at the time was the worst patch in the country and said, why don't you go down to Devon and Cornwall in the summer and spend your time trying to convince people not to give back old perfume and sell them some new stuff. So that's kind of how I got into it. So it was a challenge, really, that I couldn't uh, couldn't miss. Um, so currently, after 30 years of, of selling, mainly in technology uh, with Vodafone and Fujitsu, etc., uh, I'm now a lecturer at the University of York in sales management, both in the postgraduate and undergraduate programs, and run my own sales consultancy, so helping businesses do sales better. And helping graduates learn about sales too. Yeah, I mean, I think to your earlier point, you know, my, my passion is taking away that perception of selling uh, as negative, and it, it's a career, and a great career that it is too, and I'm sure Julian would concur with me there. I mean, I've had a fantastic time, so. Good stuff. Well, hallelujah, there's some uh, universities uh, doing sales at long last. Well, thanks to both of you. We're back to hear more from Julian and from Tim, and a bit from me, maybe shortly for the moment. Let's listen to chapter eight of my book, one that illustrates how we provoke the truth by asking great questions. 
Chapter 8. The Provocation of Truth The art and science of asking questions is the source of all knowledge. Thomas Berger We're moving now from why to ask questions onto how to ask questions. Before we start, a few words of warning. First, teaching people how to ask sales questions is one of the most difficult things to do because there are so many variables. Second, the questioning phase of sales conversations is a massive topic, and we could have a whole book on that alone, one for another day perhaps. However, the aim of this chapter is to cover some of the basics for those new to sales. Warning's over, let's look at how to ask questions in sales conversations. How to ask questions, phase one, getting started. In sales, our model of questioning can be based on the way a doctor asks questions when we go to see them for an appointment. Start with the obvious, the medical problem you have, and then open the conversation up to gain a wider picture, your lifestyle, diet, etc. Questions are a process of diagnosis, so just like our doctors, we start at the easiest place, the initial trigger for the conversation. As a salesperson, your trigger is usually stated in your introduction, step one of sales, earn the right to speak. For example, this is my name from company X, you made an inquiry on our website about product A. If you are calling me from my mobile phone supplier after I'd upgraded my phone, your first question may simply be, so Paul, are you happy so far with the upgrade on your phone? Simple questions are great for getting started. A closed question like the one I just used is not essential, but it's fine to begin with. It helps establish some connection with your client as they cautiously become involved with you. How to ask questions, phase two, from present to future. To help people buy, we must identify a need. Just asking them, do you need this thing I'm trying to sell, rarely works, I promise. To help identify a need, we want as wide an understanding as possible of their world right now. What current provision do they have? What's happening in their world? Find out as much as you can. Ask and ask and ask. We're afraid to ask questions sometimes because people might not want to tell us. But remember, we're selling to grown-ups and they can make their own minds up about whether they want to answer our questions or not. Once we have a clear idea of our potential client's current position, we can start to ask questions about the future position they would like for themselves. You see, phase two questions start with, where are you now? And move to, where do you want to be in the future? In both cases, we need to ask lots of follow-up questions too, of course. In this phase of questioning, we're looking for a gap between where a client is now and where they want to be. The better we understand this, the better we can help. Laura Morgan, founder of Pacific Direct, which she sold for 20 million in 2013, said of her early days in sales, I quickly learned that sales is actually about understanding somebody's problem and presenting a solution to take their pain away. It's just common sense. Think about the day-to-day buying decisions you make. Most of them are changing something about your current position to make your future slightly better. It might only be a short-term better, something to eat or drink. It might be changing the way you feel, buying new clothes or having a haircut, or improving your health, joining a gym. In fact, joining a gym is a perfect example of the present versus future picture you want to uncover in all sales conversations. In most cases, people join a gym because they want to get fitter in one way or another. Your fitness level today is not as good as you want. In the future, you'd like it to be better. Joining the gym helps you fill that gap, and if it works, you will be fitter, happier, smaller, stronger, whatever else you want it to do for you. This simple example represents what we're all trying to do in sales. 
If we can help people get from where they are today to where they want to be tomorrow at a price that offers value for money, then we'll deliver a great service and make a good living. In summary, the culture of questions is what I want you to take from this chapter, as well as a two-phase process. When you're selling, I encourage you to imagine presenting a summary of the company or the people you've met or talked to over the phone. The clearer the picture you can paint of their world, the better job you've done. This gives you more chance of being successful in the art of helping people make buying decisions, the art of sales. There's still a long way to go before you make your sale, but if you've done step one and two well, then step three is a whole lot easier. So welcome back to the studio, to myself, to Julian, uh, to Tim, and um, we're going to talk about questioning in sales conversations. I talked there at the beginning of the of the chapter there about actually training people in, in questioning. Uh, I think as a trainer, it's one of the hardest things to do because it's, it is such a complex thing to do. And I think especially when people are first in sales, it's even more difficult to do because it feels like you're not in control when you're asking the questions. And, and as we know, when we get a bit more involved, you're completely in control when you ask the questions. So I guess first question, I'll come to you first on this one, Tim. Um, am, am I right? Do you agree? Is, is, is learning how to ask the questions one of the more difficult things to do when you first start? Yes, I think so. And I think asking great questions, because I think that says a lot about you and your credibility as a salesperson is the the quality of the questions. So mm. I think one thing I certainly focus on with the students and doing workshops and things is around the quality and difference of those questions. So not, let's not just ask the the lazy ones. Mm. So, you know, really focusing on getting them to think about actually the top top level of, of questioning yeah. and, and do that through a couple of exercises which work well. Yeah. Which, and just, just linking that point back to the, the summary there, um, it was covering the very basics in the summary there. So it is a bit more complicated. And even doing those basics is harder. Uh, what about you when you started? Was the, was the training on that, Julian? Yeah, for you? very much so. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going into a, a, a publishing company obviously there was a, you know the sales department and we you know going into an established business the best thing that ever happened to my career was having a, f- a very thorough training program that you know not all companies delivered at some points you know very early days it was kind of like you know you've got the gift of the gab therefore go in and get into a sales job which couldn't be further from the truth of actually being a professional salesperson so the training for me was something i still remember th- to this day the details are a bit more blurry now mm-hmm. 20 odd years down the line but for me it set me up for you know a, a, a a, a career and, and life and as, as per your, you know, the summary of your book it's you know it's so important to you know every facet of most careers there are very very few jobs whether it be a lawyer or a teacher or a doctor that doesn't have sales as a core component whether they acknowledge that or not um and then also from a personal perspective you know talking to you know kids and actually fun of thinking about this you know asking questions is actually the most natural thing in the world if you spend any time with young kids it's all they do is ask questions yeah, having a young family, I, I just think back to conversations I have. Every, you know, I'm constantly answering questions, often making up the answers because I don't know them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is yeah. You know, so it shouldn't be something we feel is a difficult skill to master because we actually started. We all our knowledge is is, is learned through asking questions mm. as kids. So yeah. I love that point. I'd not thought of it before. I've often thought when the uh, something around language, how you know we learn language very often through for, through nursery rhymes and th- in fact we through through poetry, and then we all get older and think poetry's nonsense. But we learn language through that way and through song. But I'd not realised you're quite right. The moment we can actually start talking, what we do is ask questions. Yeah. So naturally, that's what we go to do. Another point you raised there, Julian, I just wanted to pick up on as well. You talked there about the gift of the gab and, um, you know, we've all had that ex- this experience in, in recruiting and training teams in sales. And I think um, 
slightly away from questions, but about suitability for sales. Because what often happens is people think about the gift of the gab, the, the, the talker, the person at the bar telling the joke, telling the stories, or they'd be great at sales. We get on well with people socially. And I don't know about you guys, but often when I talk to people about first getting into sales, they say, oh, I'm, I'm good at that, so that means I'll be good at sales. Like, There's a long way between being good in a social situation where everyone's happy to being in sales. And I think sometimes what can happen with people who are successful socially is when they first go into sales, they find a rude awakening that they go from a 95% success rate in this game called human communication to a 95% failure rate, which you would have had selling uh, in, in media, you would have had with your wonderful perfumery. And that's quite a shift for people to make, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and how did you find that at the beginning for, for your careers? Did you, was it a rude awakening for you? Do you, is it too- I think I've always been quite shy, actually. So I wasn't the gift of the gab by any stretch of the imagination. I think one thing that served me well through my career is actually the power of silence and actually listening to people. So you can have the gift of the gab and be on transmit, but that's not going to get you the result that you need to coach your customer to the to the sale point because you're not going to listen to what they say because you're on transmit mm. in, that, in that gift of the gab. So I think actually taking time to reflect and listen and in get really engage with somebody and really listen to them is you know something I've learned and continue to learn mm. and develop. And I'm guessing, I mean, you're perhaps more at the front end of this than, than either of us, uh, Tim, so staying with you for a second, that very often when people are at the start of their career, they don't think of themselves, if they're the quieter type, that they would go into a thing called sales. And actually, I mean, we're all nodding heads here, that that angle of listening and asking questions actually is a better trait to have them than being the joke teller. And clearly the idea of this podcast and the book is to bring more people of all types into sales. But wow, I'd love more quiet, consultative people to come into sales. Well, I think th- there are. I mean, you know, um, some research we did looking at high performers, medium performers and low performers actually showed that their personality profiles was much more caring and, you know, more quieter, not not the gift of the gab, than you would expect. So, you know, if you look at top performing salespeople, they don't have the gift of the gab. Mm. It's not all about Donald Trump and all that kind of art of the deal. Yeah. For me, anyway. Did you not see the rules of the podcast? You're not allowed to mention Brexit or Donald Trump. Well, let's let's try and get Brexit in there. I like a yeah. challenge, Paul. You know, uh, yeah, I did say yeah, earlier on. So. And with your teams, Julian, when you were building your team out, yeah, your company with a mixture of personalities. Always a mixture. You know, I think the last thing you want to do is have uh, it's certainly you know, a collection of people who are exactly like yourself. As much as you know, there's a sort of there's a potentially a bit of ego there. You kind of think, well, actually, you need a range of different skill sets, a range of different personalities. You need to understand who you're selling to really importantly so actually you need you need salespeople who are going to match the requirements of your your, your customers because again you can have them you know I, I won't be able to come up with a decent example but you know you need to understand what your customer is looking for in a you know, classic sales way you need to recruit with that in mind as well not just about the people you're recruiting um, but yeah absolutely always a range of people in terms of personalities and interests and abilities and mm. yeah totally agree Great. okay just bring us back to one of the themes of that chapter around uh, structures in question. So I, I did, you know, the basics of the first, uh, how to get started, starting with the trigger uh, question, and then just talking about present and future. There's many different ways to do it. I'd like to come back to some other structures uh, shortly. But I often find, even when I'm training quite experienced salespeople, ah, oh, the thing you just got to make it up as you go along, and it flows, and so on. And um, Whilst that is sometimes true, I think to reliably and consistently deliver in most walks of life, you probably have some sort of structure. And I think a combination of structure and then adjusting your plan according to what happens is the best 
um, scenario. And we, we touched in, in the recording there about, about doctors and, and how that's done. But also I thought quite a good example when I was on the way here today was, was TV interviews. And if you watch, whether it's Piers Morgan or Graham Norton, you know, even sort of relatively light entertainment, it looks like a conversation. That's all mapped out. You know, they, as far as the interviewer is concerned, they, they know their questions. And part of the skill is, that, you know, here's where I want us to get to, but it's done in a conversational format. And so I think sometimes people confuse structure with rigidity. And actually, I think the structure gives you freedom rather than tying you in. So it doesn't matter too much what the structure might be, but are you, do you agree that there's a structure to selling that you can sometimes uh, vary from, but you go back to, or is it just make it up as you go along? Maybe I come to you first this time. Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I strongly believe in having a, a plan going into a meeting, going into a sales call. You've got to know where you want to try and get to. What are the objectives? I mean, it's a bit kind of you know, classroom stuff, but I really believe you've got to put effort and research in before you actually have the call or the meeting understand where you want to get to what are the objectives of that meeting you know, it may it doesn't always have to be closing a sale in that particular call it could just be you know achieving a face-to-face meeting or achieving a coffee or a lunch or um and then having the i think you know part of the the skill and why not everyone can do it is because you need to have the mental agility to, to navigate to that point and that's where intelligence not necessarily academic intelligence but at intelligence and brightness comes into it to be able to you know, understand the situation as it evolves, asking the right questions, reacting to the answers, you know, again, not necessarily jumping into trying to close off, you know, holding your nerve, Mm. being able to do that as well. But, and all that feeds into this, the structure, which is very, very important. But it's, like I say, being able to gauge and judge and read body language Mm. and hear inclination in in tone and, yeah, having empathy with the conversation. So it is fluid, but there also is a, you know, I think a fairly, yeah, rig, not rigid, but there's a there's a structure that has to be in place to, to, to achieve positive results. Yeah, I was thinking there as you were talking there about the agility of a lovely phrase as a, a brilliant sales um, guy, media sales guy, we helped into a job a few years ago and now runs a successful media company of his own, uh, Paolo Zanini, if, if you're listening. And he talked about my job, it's mental gymnastics. You've just got to keep, adjusting but there is a plan but then you have to have the agility and, we, and we've all had those conversations forget sales for now those conversations with people where they don't respond to the thing we said and they stick with their plan no matter what and they're yeah. they're painful yeah absolutely terrible but it is the balance of the two isn't it it is yeah i mean i think um julie makes some great points there i, I would say for me it's all about the funneling of the questioning so I've always that's always stuck with me. And one particular technique I use in workshops is, you know, there's three people like we are today. You might be drawing a picture. You've got to ask, Julian has to ask some questions. I have to draw the exact same picture. Okay. So what happens is most salespeople default to closed questions. Is it a animal? Is it mm. a dog? Whereas actually the question you, you can ask is, what have you drawn? Yeah. So it's a less of you know of sometimes we're overtrained in sales to to ask the questions and we forget the the absolutely bleeding obvious ones which mm. are tell me describe the more open things so I think that's always stuck with me and the second one really is around again going back to my earlier point the quality of the questions so if I'm sat with somebody I want to know that they've researched and done some research about the business and they don't just ask me the all the kind of factual stuff mm. that they go for the higher level questions that they try and deliver some value in those questions as well about what what they can do for me. So I think that's what I tend to to push the guys towards. But mm. I think students need some structures to start with because they're like, oh, yeah. what do I do? Yeah. So I think you've got to allow them to do the, the noddy stuff to begin with. Mm. If you don't give them that, it's a bit like not having a walking stick or 
you know, you're expecting them just to go straight to the, the high level stuff. It's not going to work. Yeah. So. Yeah, do the basics first. I think that yeah. happens a lot in sales, isn't it? And, and, and I guess in communication and broadening a little, um, we often do training with people around presentation, more for corporate stuff, but occasionally people ask for advice on best man's speech or whatever it might be. And it's a good example because we're all familiar with that and we've all seen good and bad ones, I'm sure, over the time. And when I'm asked by people, the ones I find slightly tricky are people where I've done some work with them and they're not you know, especially confident speakers. And my, my, I don't see my job as a trainer to turn everyone into a brilliant speaker. It's to help them be better. And that will have yeah, different yeah, levels. Absolutely. Uh, but people go in the best man speech, in particular, there's such pressure on that speech. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. And uh, they try and do be all things to all people. They try and be the Barack Obama of speech making with very little prep. And it's like, work out where you are, do the basics. And uh, there's a phrase I often hear used about speeches. And they say, oh, there's nothing worse than somebody reading a speech. And I say, yes, there is. Somebody giving a really bad speech. Yeah. That's the worst speech. Somebody reading well a good speech mm. is absolutely fine. It's not top draw, maybe. It might not get you elected. But it's good enough um, to manage with that kind of thing and having that structure. And on a point of yours there, Tim, as well, where you talk about um, don't go in and meet a client and say, so what does your company do? Because it shows a naivety. People do so it, though. It's they unbelievable. It. And, and I, I was just, as, as you talked about it, I thought of a, a, a middle ground that I often do because I do want someone to talk about their company because I want to hear it in their words, yeah. not the website's words and so on. But there's a better way to do that, which is to make a comment. Oh, Julian, I see your company's won the awards recently out in America. That's amazing. So what was that award for? And bit by bit, I'm now getting Jim to talk about his business, but I'm not sounding naive yeah. in that I've not bothered to do my research before I get there. So there's that, that difference. And so on, on structure, I, I used a very simple one there of just having the, the first two steps really of, of the trigger questions and then looking at present and looking at future. Um, what Have you used particular models yourself before? Have you, you know, this, whether it's spin selling, all the different kind of things that you, you've had, or have you found them not quite? You're right, Julian, what did you do with uh, well, your I knew I was slightly grinning is that I, uh, the last training I did personally was 20 years ago. I still remember it very clearly, but I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was called. And we right. had the funnel was, and I still can see it now. I can. You know, it's strange how certain things stay with you in life. And I can still see a, a whiteboard with a bit of paper with this big funnel on the questions and you're sort of moving in. So very clear visually in my mind what it is. I, I Again, the, 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 when we had the company, we had a similar sort of training that we always put our salespeople through. Uh, yeah, the actual details of you know what the names it was, it was not, not something that were done, mm. I'm aware of, but yeah, it, 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 it as far as I'm concerned, it's a very similar sort of you know principles are still the same. Yeah. So yeah, it's getting people talking, isn't it? And there are yeah. different ways to do it, but I think there's I'm interested on it, and I'll come to you, Tim, on what you do with the students and what you found in your career. Um, but there's lots of different acronyms that are used, and it's one of my sort of pet peeves in training. Is there's so many acronyms all the time of this, that, and the other, but it's just giving some sort of shape to questions, and it almost doesn't matter too much what it is, and they're all largely the same. Get people talking about themselves and their job or whatever it might be, where they are now, where they are in the future, how those two things make them feel and, and what they'd like to do to move forward, right? And you can call it what you like, but that structure helps, I think, especially at the beginning of a career, right? Yeah, so I think, you know, it is the funneling thing. That's the thing I always go back to. It's kind of a very visual structure. I think also you were saying earlier about teaching people how to ask questions. I think you've got to experience it, and that's why I use the, the drawing exercise because it really draws out that the need to do that funneling because everybody goes, oh, yeah, I just asked a load of club questions. It took me 10 minutes to do it. And the guys mm. who said, what have you drawn? 
got there in 30 seconds yeah and, and use that funnel um other things we've used we do use a spin um nothing wrong with it i, I wouldn't mechanistically use it i would bring it in and say here's some some content for you to think about look at the structure of the questions come up with your own mm. but you know the higher level questions the impact questions in there um, are really good for getting to think about how can I link this to their business? How can I put some numbers in there? How can I get them to think that actually I know what I'm talking about mm. as well? So I think there's lots of things you can draw on. I wouldn't I wouldn't go with one methodology. Um, I think I've just imbued a lot of different methodologies over the mm. years. I think I've been on nearly every sales course going, and Julian probably has too. Mm. Um, and you develop your own style, and I think it's about you coming across as being authentic when you're asking those questions and obviously when they're students it takes a bit of time to to get them to do that so it's about letting them do it yeah coaching them you know not saying oh you need to do it this way mm. just saying that's a great question yeah come up with some great questions you can do it i mean you used to ask your dad i mean my son used to ask me things like you know what's the population of birmingham dad i mean where do the kids get this stuff from do you mm. know what i mean so yeah, no longer ask you. They just go into a search engine and and do get it. the wrong answer. Well, yeah. there's there's an interesting element you mentioned right there that, that I'm reminded of Tim as you're talking about it is that there's some ego around this game of communication and sales, right? And um, I think you make a good point there around having a structure that people like to think it's their own. And I think one of the challenges when we are training teams, when we're scaling teams up, and I guess what you have with your with your students and what we have often is getting people to recognize that structure helps, giving them some ideas around it, but also giving them the freedom to be human beings who think, I created this, and they're much more likely to stick to it. So I think we're probably all agreeing training-wise, if you are in a training session, whatever it is, and it feels natural to you to do it, and you you tweak it to your own style, you're much more likely to use it rather than this bloke called Tim came in and said, I must do it this way. We don't like that. And I think there's a little bit, maybe ego is the wrong word, I don't know, but we like to personalise things, don't we? Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I think it's, for me, it was always about having, you know, the basic tool, being given the toolkit and working with that toolkit and then make, yeah, whether you can make a toolkit your own, but, you know, you have the basic you know, tools at your disposal and then, you know, then you, your personality and your character has to come to the fore as well because that's, you know, an unquantifiable part of sales but, you know, the rapport building at the beginning, you know, you need to understand, you know, you need to be and it comes back to the, the bloke at the bar who's, you know, keeping everyone happy, mm. not always going to be a good sales guy but arguably that's an important part of the process of relationship building because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in relationship being a big part of sales certainly, you know, in a longer term sales cycle you want to be you want to make one sale, but then you want that, you know, that sale needs to come back again, and you need to upsell, and that's where the, you know, the bigger the bigger deals can be done. So, mm. yeah, look, I absolutely agree. You don't, you, it can't be a regimented. This is exactly how it does A B C D E, but you need to have that. Yeah, it comes back to the structure, doesn't mm. it? I think sometimes it's about making sure you haven't forgotten key pieces of information, isn't it? Yeah. Just you know, any of us at whatever stage can end up leaving a meeting. Oh, I forgot to ask about so and so and just a reminder of some sort to cover those areas can help you sometimes order helps i'm a massive believer that great communication is like great music it isn't just the notes you play and the words you use it's the order in which you use them and the combination of those but sometimes it can just be a checklist as you talked about with the students at the beginning for you yeah i mean sometimes i just say to them you know get a piece of paper or your notebook and divide it into six and put boxes and go customer you know what are the kind of key theme themes and then a few little bullets underneath mm. and if you get stuck no harm in looking at it mm. 
Oh, that's a, that's a, another pet peeve of mine that people think, oh, you can't use notes in a meeting. Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If somebody comes to meet me, to, and you know, I'm a potential client, and they have notes with them, I like yeah. the fact that they've also, got notes. If someone's not taking any notes as well, it's like, hang on, it's like you know, typically when a waiter comes up and takes oh. your order. And you, they don't write anything down, so it's fine. But if you get one thing wrong, there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> well, also, it, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested you mentioned that. Also, I've, I've had friends of mine say, oh, you know, you, you, you're fussing about it. But you know, when you go to, out to eat, actually none of us go out to eat in most cases. We go out for the experience yeah. of eating, okay? And um, sounds like we, we should probably uh, not be at the same uh, dinner table. <laughs> because I'm, I'm the same in that I now feel slightly nervous between the time I've ordered and the time food arrives <laughs> about you're going to get something wrong. So actually, the experience is there's a there's a net negative yeah, to me. Yeah. Just write it down. Make me feel better. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got I've got food at home. Just do me a favor. Right. Yeah. Okay, I just want to get one more question before we before we wrap up. Um, sometimes in sales training, I hear people say to me, "Ah, but Paul, you can ask too many questions." What are your thoughts on that? Both of you? you can ask too many questions. Where do we go first, Tim? Okay. Um, well, perhaps you've asked too many questions, Paul. I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, he's buying time well, then. <laughs> I would say I think you've got to use your emotional intelligence about the individual that you're sat with. I mean, sometimes you you can be with a, with a very low reactor or somebody who's very reflective. So I think you've got to balance that and kind of flex your questioning depending on the individual. Um, so sometimes more questions is okay. Sometimes it's got to be less questions. But mm. I would say read the other person and determine what's the best mode to go with. Mm. So in that sense, you do need to prepare for all eventualities So make sure you have a good bank of questions mm. because you're going to get that point of silence. Yeah. So. And Julian? Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's yeah, the EQ, which, um, again, I think is a sort of probably more of a common trait than higher EQ, IQ, potentially, mm. um, with, with sales and commercial people. It's, it's, it's just gauging each conversation on its merit, isn't it? And you, know, you clearly, if you've got the structure, you know where you want to try and get to. You're trying to find, you know, tease out four needs so you can you know, benefit sell on that. Then, if you've got to there and you feel like the conversation's running up, or the other the other person is clearly getting a bit agitated, it's going on a bit too long. You know, use your intelli- emotional intelligence to, you know, start wrapping things up and, and move into the sort of the, the next phase of the conversation. Mm. But it's about it's about yeah. Understanding each situation on its merits. There's a bit of subliminal persuasion there, wasn't there? As he was talking about wrapping up and telling me <laughs> it's time to wrap up. I, I agree with, with the points you make. The, the bit that I would add, I often say to a room, is that I've. It happens so rarely that a salesperson will ask too many questions and that the client will talk for too long. And that's a fear. So, oh, but what if the client talks forever? Honestly, I've done selling now for 25 years. That's maybe happened three times in my life. And so the bigger danger is cutting it short. And mm. so don't worry too much. You'll probably know on those times, and you can count them on the fingers of one hand, the greater danger is that you, you cut it short. And there's a lovely phrase, I think it was Stephen Covey, but forgive me if not, it said, nobody ever listens themselves out of a sale. And so we, we tend to have a driver yeah. to go and talk to people. But yeah, there's a time, you're right, you read it, you pick up from people. And I pick up from our production team that it's time for me to wrap up. So Julian, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you yeah, pleasure. about sales questions, yeah, sales listening. Seems like we're all agreed it's the most important skill that exists in sales and you do that well then everything else becomes a bit easier. Uh, for those listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed it today. If you have enjoyed it, then do feel free to give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast provider uh, you listen to. Please also come back soon and tell others 
about what we're doing here. Secret Skill, Hidden Career, The Truth About Sales is back again very soon. If you'd like to buy my book to support the podcast, then you can find that also on Amazon. For the moment, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening.